Welcome to the Six Ways to Sunday podcast, hosted by award-winning television director, documentary filmmaker, author, and speaker, Craig D. Forrest. Join Craig for the next few minutes as he interviews leaders, artists, and creatives about trends and insights shaping our digital world and faith-based media. This podcast is produced and brought to you by Matchstick Media International. Now, here's Craig. Welcome to the podcast. We have a very special guest, a, a, a colleague in many ways, both on the production side and on the training teaching side that I've known for quite a few years, Tom Kazoyan. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, I'm happy to be here. Thanks. Will you talk about uh, a principle that I try to teach and people, their, their eyes just kind of get all glassy. Talk about edit while you shoot. Edit while you shoot. Mm. I try to explain it uh, and such, but I'd like a fresh voice on that. Tell, tell an audience <laughs> of, of listeners out there what it means while you're shooting a project to edit while you shoot. Yeah, well, if you're an editor you, and, and you're shooting someone else's footage, this is where you learn um, how to, you know, what you should do if you're shooting your own thing. Because again, you'll, you're, you're often looking for another piece, another take. There's something about the footage that you have, uh, you know, maybe it's just for a visual variety, but maybe it's actually to solve a problem. Like, okay, something, I don't, I don't have the shot I need. So thinking that through as an editor, you know, when I'm filming and I'll, I often, on um, you know, projects I work on now, you know, it's very low budgets. I'm, I, I, I can operate a camera. And so I often do as a director because it's just, it's faster. Um, and so, but I'm thinking I, I, when I'm filming, I know when I'm coming into a scene and you know, a character's walking across the scene. Uh, I, in my brain, if you asked me where I would cut in and out of that down the road, you know, a month later when I'm editing, I would know, I, you know, I'm not going to use all that. It's okay. Don't worry about it. And so I can shoot faster sometimes and more efficiently too. Right. I can say, okay, no, 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 we got that. We got that because all I'm going to use is these two seconds. I don't care if the beginning and end are good, but these two seconds in the middle are good. One of the things that I, I learned when we were doing, um, we did a film in the Amazon called The Enemy God, and we were working with non-professional actors who were indigenous people. So non, as most of the actors were native English speakers where we were filming, but completely non-professional actors. A lot of them didn't even watch TV or movies. So there was not a language, you know, they weren't familiar with things. And what I learned from the director, so Christopher Bissett um, was the director of that film. Um, I was producing and, and Christopher directed. And I edited the film though. So it was an interesting experience. So I was sort of the honcho. I was sort of the chief in the sense of I was the producer. But then Christopher directed the actors and then I got the footage and I edited the film. And what was really interesting in Christopher's theory was with non-professionals especially was you just look for the one moment that you're going to use that's the true moment. Mm -hmm. it's the right action they're doing or it's the right look in their eyes. And with non-professional actors, they may be stumbling over their lines. They may not look right. They may look nervous. They look at the camera, all these things. But he's, you know what? Uh, he, he, he would never move on with the scene until he knew he had just, he had one moment that worked and the rest of it didn't have to. It's not, a, it's not a stage play where every moment has to be perfect. Everybody has to get their lines right. We just need this moment from this actor She's super frightened. It's, it's an old woman and she doesn't, she's nervous about being on a set. And all I have to get is one moment that's true and we'll use that one. The rest of it can be terrible, but no one will ever see it. 
And so as a director, as a camera person, you're looking for that and you aren't worried about getting every take end to end perfect. You're looking for the moments that, that you need. So in terms of the efficiency, that's how you do it. And you don't then overshoot. It's possible to overshoot scenes as well, especially narrative film. You know, I need five takes of the master shot. Well, no, you know, <laughs> maybe one. <laughs> yeah. um, and then move on, keep, keep shooting because you know how it works in editing and you don't waste film or you don't waste time, which is the most expensive thing now. You know, film's not expensive because you're not shooting film, but uh, time is still money, uh, especially in the, the, the commercial world. So knowing how to, when to move on to say, yeah, I got it. That's an important skill. What a wonderful piece of wisdom. Get the one, get the one thing that's true. And I would also say that, and you'll agree, is you, as a, one as a director, male or female, you should be able to recognize when you have that one thing that's true. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's, and that's, and I, and I honestly, I spent, we had hours and hours of footage on, on that film as a feature film and I was cutting stuff together. And I, when I would scan the footage, I would look and think, Oh my gosh, we got nothing here. And when we were filming, sometimes other crew people would come up to me and say, Oh my gosh, this is a disaster. These people can't act or whatever. You know, right. And I would talk with Christopher and Christopher is a wise guy. He's a great, he's a great director. He just is really sensitive and wise, especially with non-professional actors. And he, and he and I would sit down quietly by ourselves, you know, at night after filming and he'd say, yeah, you know what? No, I got it. Trust me. I'm not going to, not going to move on unless I got it, but we got it. And other people on the crew wouldn't necessarily recognize it. <clears throat> you know, they might be just staring at the screen and saying, oh man, these people are horrible actors. And, but when I edited the film, some of those same people said, I can't believe this. This is a different movie than I was shooting through the camera, for instance. Um, because when I edited the film and then Christopher and I sat down and did fine cuts, we found those true, that, you know, one, one movement of the eye is the real movement of the eye of that person making that look to them, to another actor. And that's all we needed. And it works. And Tom, does that speak to the director, you know, obviously being the chief storyteller, knowing their story from beginning, middle, and to the end? And maybe other people don't see it, but the director and then the editor who accomplishes the, the footage to put that together, um, the director yeah. has to see it. Right. And the director, of course, is the one who knows the story probably better than anybody, especially in terms of their, you know, the design and everything, because they're the one talking with everybody else. Very few people have that same detailed and macro sort of view of a story. The crew doesn't, you know, we're shooting stuff out of order. They show up on the day and it's like, well, what scene are we shooting? Oh, okay. And they're, they're thinking of it, hopefully from a storytelling standpoint, you know, the DP is thinking about how to light it in light of the story and continuity with scenes that have come before and after, but they're, they're scattered, you know, they're focused on sort of technical things and, and, and is the lighting looking good, but they tend, you know, not to be as detail oriented toward the script and the story. Hopefully they, they need to be under, they need to know the story. <laughs> But uh, it's not really their job to see everything. And, and my experience is that those people have been surprised. Quite, they're quite often surprised because they see little bits and pieces and it's kind of chaos and doesn't really necessarily feel like the tone's right maybe or whatever. And that's the job for me as an editor, for instance, to say, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm shaping this now. And then the director comes in with the editor and 
you know, polishes. Um, but it's hard for everybody on a crew to get the whole big vision of it. And so the director and producer editor need to be on the same page for sure. Otherwise it's, yeah, it's, it can be chaos. Great conversation with filmmaker Tom Kazoyan. We'll be back in 32 seconds. This podcast features engaging conversations with leaders, artists, and creatives sharing about current trends and insights shaping our digital world and faith-based media. Today's episode is produced by Matchstick Media International, a nonprofit that's passionate about inspiring both visionary leaders and young creatives to harness the power of media to further the gospel. To learn more, visit us at matchstickmedia.org. Now, back to Craig. Welcome back to this great conversation with Tom Kazoyan. There's a great story. My favorite director is Billy Wilder, the late Billy Wilder. Mm -hmm. uh, and also for, the, for those of you listening, if you can get a hold of a copy on Amazon or wherever you can find it, Conversations with Wilder, um, done by Cameron Crowe, the director Cameron Crowe. Oh, yeah. Um, conversations with Wilder, and you give yourself some time. You and I, as certainly I have, I've read it like three times, and I even yellow marked it on some of the, the things that I thought were incredible. Billy Wilder now passed away, passed away maybe about uh, age 94, 95 years ago. Yeah, give it, name a couple of movies he's done. He oh, did. Right. Thank you very much. Um, some In the 50s, he was gold. Sabrina, yeah. the original Sabrina with Audrey Hepburn. Right. Um, Sunset Boulevard. Uh, Witness for the Prosecution, a really dark drama as well with Burt Lancaster, Marlena Dietrich. Another one would be Some Like It Hot, complete different um, a comedy, right. romantic right. Big comedy. broad physical Tony comedy, Curtis, yeah. Tony Curtis, Jack Lemmon. Uh, another one would be one of my favorites, The Apartment with Jack Lemmon. And oh, yeah. McMurray is the bad guy. Well, they, would, uh, they, they talked about how Billy Wilder would have his editor there on the set during all of production and whenever they would finish a part of a scene the editor and billy wilder would talk over to the side and if the editor said hey you need one more uh angle over here for me to put this together or you know you need to start the camera from the door as the guy walks in and you know move from there that'll give me a way into the room you know, all those kinds of things yeah thought, yeah those are two guys that are collaborating in just the best sense of that, and when they and when Cameron Crowe, uh, who was interviewing Wilder, uh, and he's a Cameron Crowe's a, a fine, fine director, he said uh, to to Billy Wilder, "So how long would it take you to edit uh, your movies?" He said, "Oh, we would be done in about one week after I finished production." And right. Cameron Crowe said, "What? Yeah, about a week after we would be editing it. It was shot in a way that there were only so many possibilities." to edit it and while I'm shooting it, the editor's going off and putting it together and then I'll come the week after we're done, like, you know, make a few changes. But basically about a week or two after we're done, the, the film is, is ready. And I thought, oh, that just doesn't happen today. Now it's six months or a year to finish. Yeah. That idea, it's really intriguing that Billy Wilder would do that with his, his editor. The other theory of that, and this actually worked I think for me with the film, with the, our film, The Enemy God, because Christopher was in, in Central America, they were filming. I was back and forth to the U.S. Um, as the producer. I was going back and forth a lot. And so I wasn't actually on set all the time. The advantage of that in terms of storytelling is you can also get a fresh perspective 
from the editor who wasn't there on the set because sometimes what happens, my experience is that we spend so much effort to try to get one really special shot and the crew's all invested in this and it took us like five hours to pull this off, blah, 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 you know, all these kinds of things. And ultimately, whatever decisions are made are what serves the story, the, the film the best. And so an editor who wasn't there on the day might have less emotional investment in that scene and might be more willing to cut it if it doesn't work. Uh, and I did that. I did that with my own film. We, we showed it in some festivals. The first couple of festivals that the film showed in, I began, I was there at the festivals showing the film and I began to notice there's some parts. You know what? I think I need to tighten this up. I actually re-edited the film after it was in festivals before we finally released it on DVD. And I cut scene, I cut a whole sequence that was like this amazing sequence in the film. It was, it was visually just beautiful and really difficult shots to get and amazing looking but it stuff. Didn't, it didn't serve. The but story, it's, did it? it was, it was like three, three minutes of slowing down the story. And I, I talked, I, and after I watched it a couple times with audiences, I said, you know what, we just got to keep this thing going. And we put it in the deleted scenes on the DVD. And, uh, but if, you know, other people would have been hesitant to cut that. I had, I, was able to be more brutal with our, myself <laughs> and say, you know what? I love that scene, but I'm going to trim it. Yeah. yeah. And that's a, that's, a, that, that sometimes, you know, it depends on the, the context, the relationship of the director and the editor and everything. In, in uh, Hollywood, uh, there's a couple terms for it. It's called when you dropping a scene that was your favorite, but it didn't serve the story. Uh, there's a couple terms for it. It's one is called killing your babies. Mm -hmm. uh, and the other one is killing your darlings. It's basically uh, a variation off, off the same thing. Right. If and a writer always has to do that with oh, the screenplay. Sure. Yeah, oh, a writer sure. always has to give up control of their screenplay unless they're, they direct their own movie. <laughs> and then they can shoot, shoot anything and everything they want uh, until somebody tells them no. And whoever that person is, I, I, I couldn't tell you. We are having a great conversation with producer, director, writer, uh, editor, cameraman, audio guy, lighting guy. That's about what, six or seven right there. And he does <laughs> Plenty. All very, very well. We're talking to Tom Kazoyan here on the podcast, actually sort of uh, finishing up our time here as well on a great conversation. I always ask this and whenever I possibly can, both when I'm interviewing people for documentaries and profiles or uh, on the podcast. Tom, is there anything that uh, we haven't talked about or, or a question that I haven't asked you, a subject that uh, you'd like to talk about? What would it be? Huh. Well, that's a good question, Craig. I appreciate it. Um, I don't know. You know I, I, end up, I end up in so many webinars and things like that. I always forget like, what things I feel like, oh, this is important or yeah, maybe it's only important to me. I think, I think there's a number of things that I think about at, as my – um, my career as a filmmaker, where I am at in my career, because I'm not the young hotshot anymore. Um, but I'm not, I'm not done. And there is a, there is a, a season where we have to sort of evaluate who we are as creatives. And that's something that I've been going through myself. Um, I have been embracing much more the identity as a mentor, as opposed to I've got to be the guy who has my name on everything and I have creative control. I find that I still want it. Um, there's still a part of me who's, who's creative and I feel like I still need to, to create and I have an opportunity to do that at some level. Um, but I am shifting my focus toward mentoring. You know, I, 
I, the three phases of my mission statement are advocate, declare, and disciple. So I'm advocating for the wise use of media, uh, especially in cross-cultural ministry. And I'm, I'm declaring, I'm doing, using my own creative gifts to do that. But I also have an idea of that it's part of my role, my assignment from God is to disciple others to take my place. So it doesn't need to be about me. And I think that, you know, we mentioned the, the power of mobile devices um, that expands the reach and the ability of people to do it beyond what we could do. Um, you know, I'm, I've, I've shifted my focus away from teaching people how to use professional gear, quote unquote, toward using whatever's in their pocket and doing it as professionally as possible. Um, some, you know, the, the phrase that we use, the, the joke that we use in the mobile sort of ministry world is that we're unleashing thousands of mediocre filmmakers on the world. <laughs> and in a sense, I sort of cringe at that, right? Well, I don't want to create bad filmmakers, but I also want to create appropriate filmmakers. And, and I don't know if that's a, the right way to say it, but filmmakers who are effective in their context with the resources they have to have fruitful ministry. And some of them will maybe someday go to Hollywood and use all the hot tools and everything. But there's amazing visual stories we can tell with very rudimentary equipment that would, you know, I would raise, you know, I wouldn't want to have to be stuck with, right? For instance, as a professional, but uh, is incredibly valuable in a local context. Uh, and people can tell some really effective stories, even if they may have some rough edges from a technology standpoint or a creative standpoint. And you know what? I'm for that now. I, I used to like not really want to go there, but I think that God has called me toward empowering those people. Um, doesn't mean that I've given up the standard of excellence or anything like that, but there's an appropriate level. I think for, for different contexts and different channels and media and audiences. And I've, I've embraced that more as I've gotten older, I think. Great conversation with Tom Gazoyan today, uh, a, a treat. Uh, and uh, he's a friend and a colleague, a great teacher, a great filmmaker and dedicated and passionate about uh, both uh, advocating, declaring and discipling. Those are three that, that's, that is a sermon right there for somebody. <laughs> it's, it's, I, have that, I have that pasted on my desk Good. where I can see it every day. Good. Absolutely love it. Th Tom, thank you for being a guest on our podcast. It's been, an, uh, it's been a pleasure. It's been fun. I appreciate it, Craig. It's been really, really fun. To, it's fun to reminisce about the old days <laughs> and the new days. You've been listening to the Six Ways to Sunday podcast with Craig D. Forrest, brought to you by Matchstick Media International, dedicated to excellence in media through inspiration, vision, and education. To learn more, visit us on the web at matchstickmedia.org. That's matchstickmedia.org. Your generous donations, large or small, help defray costs for producing this creative podcast. Thanks for listening and subscribing.